This is the Oasis Church Podcast. We're located in Athens, Ohio, and we use this podcast feed to primarily post the messages from our Sunday morning church gatherings. If you enjoy this message or if you'd like to know more about Oasis Church, please reach out to us at oasisathens at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Well, I'm going to say something to uh, those of you who are, like, I guess, to be visiting with Oasis today, but we're visiting your camp, and, and then I'll say something to those who are normally here every Sunday, and that's this. We uh, typically, the way we do our Bible preaching and teaching is we walk directly through books of the Bible. Most often the way we do handle the sermon time is, is we just pick a book and we, and we just study up right through it verse by verse and just allow God's word to speak to us in the way that he wants to speak to us. And we've been doing that in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And we have taken, we, I don't know when we started Luke, you know, a few Sundays before Christmas, I think. And, uh, so we've been in it for several weeks. We, are, we just turned the page to chapter 5 last week. But we're not going to be in chapter 5 today. And so that's, that's the word that I'm telling all of you who are here for the first time. For those of you who are normally here, I'm going to tell you that I have actually crafted a message that is, that is geared toward the theme that these high school students have been uh, uh, centered around this weekend. And that theme is growth and growing in Christ and what that should look like. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to take uh, a, a section of scripture from the Gospel of Luke. But we're going to jump a few chapters ahead to Luke 14. So go ahead and flip over to Luke 14, if you would, in your Bibles. And then Kaylee will have the words up here as well. And it's going to be in the ESV, the English Standard Version. If uh, you want to follow along up there, if you don't have that same translation, you can follow along in your own. Uh, but we're going to read verses 25 through verse, uh, we're going to go through verse 30. All right. I don't know if that's, if that's what I've got on there, but you can just stop at 30. Okay. Now, Jesus has been, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is doing some phenomenal things. And, and so, if you've been studying Luke with us, you're just going to fast forward. There's been a lot of things that Jesus has done in terms of teaching and healing and casting out demons and all sorts of cool things. And he's been really getting a little deeper with his teaching with the disciples every time he, he pauses on the, on the way on, and to do ministry. And a lot of times, Jesus would just sit down wherever he was. Like, for example, if they were fishing, if they were in a boat, he would would sit down on the boat and he would teach them. But sometimes he would also go to the synagogues and all these little towns around the Galilean region, he would stop in their synagogues, the Jewish synagogue, and they would let him, they would let him preach. He was a rabbi. He was considered a rabbi and a one of their teachers. And he was really good at preaching. It was his primary ministry. It's actually one of the things that we looked at last week at the end of chapter four and into chapter five, Jesus actually defines his primary calling to, as being to preach the word of God. And so he's really good at it. And so when you hear the words of Jesus, you're going to be like, there'll be some things that he says that'll make you go, huh, I got to think about this for a little bit. And then there are some things that he says are just pretty straightforward. And you're going to see a little bit of both in this section of scripture. Okay. I don't have time to unpack all of it. So I'm going to take just a little piece of it and, and, and uh, talk about it today. So beginning with verse 25, he starts with one of those really hard things. He says, it says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them. So now he's got a crowd and he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
He cannot be my disciple. So just really quick, okay? Because I don't want you to—I don't want you to be thinking about this all day long, right? And, and be completely distracted from the rest of the message. You know, Jesus says something very extreme like that, and it is extreme because he's saying that your devotion and your relationship with Him should be so deep, your growth in Him should be so mature and so deep by the time as you walk along with Christ in your life that it actually makes every other relationship in your life look a lot less, almost like hating them in a way. And he says that if he would ever, if ever it ever come into a place where you were questioning who is first in your life, then he says, it needs to be me, not father or mother, not brother or sister, not anyone else. It needs to be me. And that's that he's kind of lays that down right there. And that's really what that means. And so verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? So this is something that we're going to be really focusing in on today. Our lives, last week I talked about how our lives were a little bit, or were like a house. Uh, or two weeks ago, your life is like a house. Your, the, the life that you live is like a house. And if you leave windows and doors open for people to come in that aren't doing, that aren't, they don't have your best interest in mind, then bad things are going to happen in your house. Your house is going to get all messed up. Well, right now, Jesus is saying that he's comparing our lives to, to like a, a, a task. And you, you have a, you're going to build something here. How many of you, if you want to build a tower, would not first sit down and consider the work that it's going to take to actually get this thing done? And that's really what he's talking about here. So he says he sits down and he counts the cost. And what kind of cost is he counting? The second half of verse 28. Whether he has enough to complete it. All right? I've got that word underlined in my Bible. Complete it. Verse 29, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, so what's the foundation? It's the start. It's the beginning, right? When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I think some of your translations, if you use like the NIV, it might say, this fellow, this fellow started a, started a project. He started to build something and he wasn't able to finish. And it's kind of looked upon as an insult. Today's Valentine's Day, isn't it? I just realized that. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Hallmark. Well, what made me think of that is this message could, I don't ever do this. I don't ever create messages based on what holiday it is. However, this message today could actually be considered a Valentine's Day message. And you'll see what I mean. When I was in college, I studied relationships. Um, I had a, had a, a professor who has who since passed, passed away, got a chance to do ministry with him for some time up in Wauseon, Ohio, and he, was, uh, he taught a class called Interpersonal Communication. And, and, and I love this class. It's one of my favorite classes because in that class, we learned about the psychology of how relationships develop, the psychology of, of how things happen whenever we meet someone. And for example, whenever you get married, if I were to take an example like Ashley and Brett just recently got married recently within what, a year or two, a year and a half, right? Uh, no. Yeah. Year and a half. If I were to say, hey. Let's just use these guys as an example, and let's ask them to go all the way back to the very first time that they met, right? And you all, have, you all might have a story like that. I mean, whether you're married or whether you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whether, you, whether you've been married a long time or, or, or a short time, we all have a story like that where, where, you go, where you can go back and think through the stages of that relationship. 
Well, the reality is relationship scholars tell us that there are five stages, five primary stages to every relationship. And every relationship that you have in this world with anyone, including spouse or friends, best friends, or even acquaintances, will go through some of these stages. And the desire that we have for like our marriages is that they would go through three stages and stay at the third one and not get to four and five. Because those stages kind of look like this. If you're looking at them on a chart, you've got stage one, stage two, stage three, and you want to stay at stage three. But if you don't, you'll go to stage four and then stage five. And so I'm going to talk through those just for a second, just to illustrate your growth in Christ, okay? The first stage of every relationship that you have ever had in your life or that you ever will have is called the contact stage. So again, if you're taking notes, it's going to be really easy. It's going to be five points, all right? The contact stage is very simply this. If two people are going to be intimate with one another, and what I mean by intimacy is, is that you know this other person at their deepest level, and they know you at your deepest level, okay? So when you, when you think about intimacy, you have to think in terms of very best friend, the person who knows you better than anybody else, and you know them better than anybody else. And we know there's a difference between best friend and friend. And you, you, many of you may have a lot of friends, but there may only be one or maybe two, just, just, just really one or two people that just you would consider, this is my best friend. They know everything about me. My life is completely transparent to them. They know me inside and out. We, there is nothing, no secret that I would keep from them. That's, that's intimacy, okay? And that's the goal that we would get there. But before you'll ever get to intimacy, you have to make contact. Like if two people are going to get married, there has to be that that has to happen. Their contact has to happen. Like even in like say Hindu religions where marriages are, are picked out for you and you've got to show up one day and marry that person, there's contact because as soon as you stand there and you look at that person and say hi or do your vows, there it is. There's contact. So every relationship in the world begins with contact. And, and what happens is in this contact stage, when you make contact with somebody, you begin to build up in your mind uh, you know, you start to answer questions. Like you begin to build this, 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 this thought process of, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to have more contact with this person or not. Or, you know what, I'd like to have more contact with this person. And you do that through asking one another questions and talking about the weather and talking about sports or talking about things, hobbies, things that you're interested in or music or whatever. And, and you gather that information. And relationship scholars tell you that, that when you meet somebody, when you meet somebody in your subconscious mind, within 14 seconds... You will decide in your mind whether or not you ever want to see that person again. All right? Now, now think about that, right? Next time you meet somebody, you're probably going to go, huh? One, two, three, four, five, six. Right? I got to hurry. I got to hurry to decide. No, you just will. You're, you will know right away, ah, I, don't think I, I don't think I connect with this person very well. And that's okay. You don't have to connect with everybody, right? But, but there are some people that you decide, you know what? I would really like to meet with this person again. People that we have in our contact stage. So all of you, how many would you say you have contacts? Yeah, we all do, right? Those people are called acquaintances. We have a lot of acquaintances. I mean, there are people, I work for the Scripps College of Communication, and one of my roles, my role is the operations manager of the college. And so what I do is I literally have contact with every person in the college, every faculty member, every staff member. Uh, at some point, they all had to come to me to get the key to their office and things like that. And so I, that, I, some of them I know better than others. Some of them I've actually had lunch with, and others I have not. The ones I've not had lunch with are just acquaintances. They're just people that I know their name. They know mine. We don't know anything about each other. I know what they teach. They, you know, they know what I do a little bit. 
bit about what I do, but those, those are just acquaintances. And we all have acquaintances, okay? That's what a contact stage is. Well, what happens is if you decide and that other person decides, you know what? We, we, got, we got some things in common. Would you like to go to lunch? Okay, you go to lunch. And then you go to another lunch. And then maybe you go to dinner. And then you, and then you kind of hang out with each other. You go to a ball game or you go to a concert. And, and you get to know them a little bit better. You move to the second stage of relationship, which is involvement. Involvement is where you actually begin to get involved. And so if you're dating this, if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a romantic relationship, this is where you begin dating. This is where you begin courting the person. You begin, you begin to do more with them. You begin to meet their family and you begin to, to maybe you know, go over on holidays and have cookouts with them and things like that. And that's what involvement is. And the more people become involved with one another, the more involvement we have, the more we do together, the more we speak with one another, another, the more conversations we have, the closer we're getting to the third and biggest stage in every relationship. And that stage is intimacy. Intimacy is something that, that you, any of you remember Plato? You may study Greek mythology, Greek, uh, Greek uh, philosophers. Plato, have you heard of a platonic relationship? Plato actually said he defined a, play, uh, a relationship of intimacy as two people who come to get together for the betterment of society. That just when they're basically what he's saying is when these people are together, it, society is better for it because they do things. They, they, they get stuff done. They do things. Sometimes that may be you and your best friend. Sometimes that that should be you and your spouse, a husband and a wife. This ought to be what, what that looks like. And so when you have a relationship with another person where you have had so many conversations and you have told them everything about you and they know every, you know everything about them. You have confessed all of your wrongdoings to them and they have confessed everything to you and there is just no secrets. There's nothing there. For one, that should be where your marriage is if you're married, but also it could be where you and your best friend are as well. Then that is a relationship of intimacy. Okay. Now you might be wondering why, where, why am I going so deep into this? Okay. I want to, I want to tell you, I want to tell you one, one more thing here. Just, just a second. One of the things that I found kind of fascinating and I really didn't understand it very much. And it happened to be something that I noticed around the same time when I was t- taking this class is the, is the issue of, of, well, divorce in general. And one of the things that I noticed was, uh, it was odd to see people who have been married for 30, 40 years get divorced. And I, and I, and I, I thought, I, you know, I actually talked to my professor about this. I talked to Lou Weber. I said, said what, 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 can you, what do you think about this? You know, because what, what happens is this. You would often hear things like, I don't, I don't feel like I know you. Right? I feel like I'm living with a stranger. I don't know that I don't know that we were ever really that we ever really truly knew each other. Well, what happens is this. It's a fascinating study. When you get married, and this is good marriage counseling by the way, so take this to heart. When you get married, you work on your level of intimacy. Why? Because you're talking with each other. You're in love with each other. You're speaking back and forth directly. It's husband and wife talking with each other, calling each other by name, right? But what often happens in a marriage is a husband and a wife will have kids. They'll have a child. They'll have that first child, and that child is so, it's so amazing to actually see something that you have created together. And you love this child so much, so much that you have poured all of your attention now into this child. And that's good. You want to love your child. But what happens so often is this, is we, we pour all of our intimacy into the child 
And we forget about intimacy with husband or wife, with our spouse. And in fact, even as that child grows up, we start to speak through the child to the one that we married. And instead of talking to our husband or our wife, we start calling them mom or dad, right? And we start saying things like, boy, Kaylee, doesn't mommy look nice today? Right, this is my child right here, right? And, and she may hear that. She may be in the same room and, and hear me say that. And so I think that I'm saying it to her, but I'm really not. I'm saying it to her, to my daughter, and I'm speaking through her to her. There is no intimacy there. There's no direct line of communication there. It's, it's, a, it's an indirect line of communication. Or she might say, oh, Kaylee, don't you think daddy should cut the grass today? Right? So, <laughs> she, I, I didn't mean to be negative on that end of it. But, but it's the same thing, right? It's, 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 we're, 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 not, we're no longer working on our level of intimacy. We're speaking through a kid. Well, then what happens? You have another one. You may have another one. So 18 years, graduate high school, go to college. Another 18 years, graduate high school, go to college. You married 25, 30 years. You look at that person after 18 years of communicating through somebody else to them, after not ever communicating directly with each other, you look at each other and you say, huh, I don't think I know you. And now I understand that. I understand why that happens. Because if you do not work on your relationship of intimacy with the people that you love, then that relationship will die. Okay? Stay with me, right? Stay with me. Think of somebody that maybe you grew up with. Um, I mean, you guys that are young, you're growing up now, but uh, maybe you haven't seen someone in a long time. They moved away, and then you start talking to them again. What do you have to talk about? The past. I'll give you an example. I had my 30th, 30th high school class reunion this past fall. 30th high school class reunion. Yeah, like, geez, yeah, 30. And we were over there at the Mason Golf Course, and I saw people, some people I hadn't seen in 30 years. Some people I saw at like the 20 reunion, so it had been 10 years. But what did we talk about then? I'll tell you what we talked about. It was, I want to say it was boring in case anybody's watching from our reunion. it was great. Had a great time. <laughs> but what did we talk about? We didn't, I mean, we had no relationship to talk about that was current. The only thing we had to talk about was like, hey, remember what we did in class, back in chemistry class, when Mr. Sheets fell asleep and we put you know, the sulfur rocks in the sink and it blew up? And I, yeah, yeah. That, you know, well, we're 16 years old. We're talking about, we're now 48 years old. We're talking about that stuff that we did that many years ago. And, it's, and, and we're like, what, 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 why don't we talk about what we're doing now? The reason why we're not talking about what we're doing now is because we have no relationship to discuss anything about. All we have is that stuff in the past. And so if we don't continue, like back then we had a relationship. We made contact. We got involved with one another. There may have been a little bit of intimacy with someone. But after 20, 30 years of no longer doing that, what happens is it's like we went back to the contact stage all over again. It was like I was meeting these people for the first time all over again. It's an incredible thing. Yeah, you go, you know, go back to divorce. If, if, you know, I sometimes I get concerned when we think about how we measure you know, the success of marriages in like the United States, for example. Sometimes I wonder about how we measure that. For example, if I were to ask you, how are marriages, how, how would you define marriage in the United States? Like, like, uh, like how, how, how are they going, right? Like, like how, how, what, do, what do marriages look like? 
And one of the answers you might give is, well, you know, we know that only half of them really last. 50 of the, stat, the statistics are that 50% of marriages end in divorce. And that's the same across, you know, people who are not believers versus people who are believers in the church, outside of the church. It's just, it's just sort of, it wavers right around the 50% mark. And so what are we doing? We're saying, we're measuring the success of marriage based on that number, based on the divorce rate. And I, and, I, and I wonder, like, what if we did it the other way? Like, what if I said, no, tell me how good they are. Would you say, well, you know, according to, you know, the U.S. News and World Report, uh, it said that, you know, last night, uh, you know, we got this most recent report that in the United States, 35 million people wear a wedding band. So I'd say marriages are pretty good. Well, I don't. Does that really give us an idea of what marriages are like? I mean, wouldn't it be stupid for us to base what marriages are like in the United States based on how many people wear a wedding band? I mean, could you imagine getting up this morning and like opening Twitter on your phone and looking at the most trending things and the first trending thing says, hey, marriages have never been better. Last night, 223,000 people got married. In this year alone, 4.8 million people exchanged wedding bands. Marriages are awesome. It's kind of dumb to, merit, to, to measure marriages like that. I mean, if you didn't know me, like if you don't, many of you don't know me. So if you, if you want to know about my marriage, right, you wouldn't come up to me and say, hey, tell me about your marriage. And I would say, okay, here you go. And, and give you my wedding band. And you, go, and you look at it and you're like, okay, well, it's, uh, it's shiny. So you must have a, a pretty shiny marriage. It's, 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 boy, it's, it's strong and heavy. So you probably have a strong marriage. And, and let me see that groove on your finger. Okay, it's pretty deep. So you must have been married like 27 years or so. Okay, good, good. And you start defining my marriage based on all of that stuff. It doesn't make any sense. Because that stuff does not define my marriage. What is this? What is the wedding band? It's a symbol. It's a symbol of a deeper relationship that has been developed over many years and every single day of getting up together and looking at each other and talking and praying and, and, and having conversation and levels of intimacy. It, it's a symbol of the day that, that we became one. That, our, that everything in our lives were blended into one. We became unified. Our goals blended into one. Our lives, our futures blended into one. This ring stands as a symbol for that something deeper. But it can't, we can't just look at that and base everything on that. So, what is my point? <laughs> I wonder why it is. That in the church, in Christianity, we base our relationship in, with Jesus and how it's going on the fact that we go to church. Or on the fact that we're part of a, a club, like Athletes in Action, like I know many of you are, or Youth for Christ, or... Uh, or, or on the fact that you got baptized once, right? Like on, on a date, like, like what, that's the date. That's the date that I got baptized. Okay, great. Doesn't tell me anything at all about your relationship with Jesus. But, but we, we tend to measure it on things like that, right? Like, like the success of that church is based on the fact that they've got 500 people that go to it every Sunday morning. Well, no, it might just be fat. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's strong. It might just be fat. But you see, we, we, that's, we do that, don't we? We do that. We, we, we want to grow in our relationships 
And we understand how relationships here with people grow and how what happens if they don't grow, if we don't work on that level of intimacy, because we've seen it happen. As I was talking about divorce, some of you have experienced it and you feel it as I talk about it and you know the heart, the heartache of it. As I talk about other relationships that maybe you've had that have broken, that, that, you know, that you no longer have, maybe you've gotten sad about that and you realize it because it really is happening. It really does happen. Well, listen, the truth is these stages of relationships that we're talking about are exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, look, some of you began to build and you're not going to finish. You haven't considered you haven't considered what this relationship is that you've entered into. You've not really considered the cost. You just started building. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to start doing this. Okay, that's good. You've made contact. You've made contact. Right? Where are we going from there? What do we do from there? Right? If you want to know about my marriage and you ask me, hey, tell me about your marriage. You know what we'll do? We'll sit down. And when we talk, I'll sit down and I'll tell you, you know what? Things have been absolutely amazing. I, I thought that I, I knew her well 27 years ago when we first got married after we had dated for so long. But I tell you what, even 10 years later, I couldn't imagine knowing her any better. And then now here we are again, almost 30 years later. And I can't tell you how much more, how much better this relationship is today. And I can't imagine how much better it's going to get. And you know why? Because of just all the time that we spend, all the conversations we have, all the ways that we get to know each other, the honesty and the love and all of that the mercy and the grace and everything that we've extended to one another is just all part of the relationship. That's what a marriage looks like inside. You don't know anything about my marriage by looking at the wedding band or by me telling you, hey, I got married on such and such date, August 7th, 1993. Okay, I know, I know what it is. <laughs> And you're not going to you're not going to wonder how the marriage is. You're not going to say, oh, they've been married 27 years. That must be a really good marriage. May not be. Right. Doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. Your relationship with Jesus may be non-existent. And that's the point. OK, what does it take? What does it take? It takes work. You have got to work on this relationship that you say that you have with Jesus. If we do not work on our friendships, on our relationships with people, and we do not work on continuing that intimacy level of that relationship, then what's going to happen is we're going to go to the next level of relationship. And you don't want to go there because if you don't continue to work on your level of intimacy with people, then what's going to happen is you're going to go to stage number four, which is deterioration. Things begin to deteriorate. No longer are we completely honest with one another. No longer do we talk with each other about everything. No longer do we really feel like we're, we know each other as well as we did. And the more things deteriorate, the more things deteriorate, eventually you get to the final stage, which is dissolution, where basically you just go your separate ways. And now listen, intimacy is possible, again, even if you go down the hill to deterioration and dissolution. It's, real, it's possible to regain that intimacy level again. But what's going to take you is a lot more of what was lacking when you got there. What was lacking in the first place, which was causing you to fall into dissolution, deterioration, dissolution. And what that thing is, is work. It's not just going to happen. What's involved with the work of, of, of developing our intimacy with, with Christ 
You know, there's a lot of things that are involved in it. I mean, it, do you ever crack open the scriptures? Do you read it? Do you enjoy reading the Bible? If, if you don't enjoy it, then just start reading it. And I guarantee you that the more you do it, the more you will enjoy it. And don't try to make sermons out of it. Don't try to make sense of it all the time. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to apply everything. Just read it. Just read it. And the more you do, the more you'll see that, you know what, there's something happening here. Why? Because this entire book, everything in it, from the Old Testament to the New, everything in it points to Jesus. Everything. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The history of it. God's plan in the, in the Old Testament uh, you know, law books as he, as he calls Abraham and Moses and Isaac, all these people. He is pointing us to Jesus. And then the prophets come along and they start telling us, hey, there's going to be one who's going to be born in the small little town and he is going to be the Messiah, the long awaited one, the one who will save us from our sins. And that's what they tell us for hundreds and hundreds of years. They tell the Jewish people this, that this is going to happen. This is the promise. He is going to come. He is going to come. And there's a long period of silence. And all of a sudden this weird looking dude named John the baptizer comes along and he starts preaching and teaching and saying, you know what? He's coming. He's coming. He's my cousin and I'm telling you he's coming and then all of a sudden John's out there baptizing people and he sees this man coming down the hill toward the Jordan River and he says that's him behold there he is the, the lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world and Jesus says why don't you baptize me too and John's like well I'm not worthy you, I, you don't need to be baptized you're perfect you should be baptizing me I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals and Jesus says I got to do this to fulfill what is written because the Old Testament prophet said that he would do this and so he did and then the God descends you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all there in that scene. And we see that that's the beginning of this great ministry where he eventually is led to the cross to die for our sins and then raise again on the third day to prove that he is God who can save you from your sins. Everything in this word points to that. So when you read it, you're going to grow. You're going to grow. So what I just want to do here is, is I want to conclude with this. I want you to imagine your journey with Jesus as your, your walk with your relationship with Jesus as a walk. It's a it's like a journey. OK, and you're at a certain point right now with him. I don't know where that is, but you're at a certain everybody. Everybody's at a certain point. You may be at contact. Maybe you just made contact with Jesus, and that's really all there is. Maybe, maybe you're involved in some way. Maybe, you, you know, maybe you've been coming to church, and you're in the involvement stage. Like you're, you're starting to get to know him a little bit. You're reading a little bit. You're, you're talking with some people about him. You're, you're getting to know Jesus a little bit better. Uh, and and maybe, maybe you're actually starting to develop some intimacy. Wherever it is, whatever it is, okay? Think about it in this way. The Apostle Paul, I love Paul because he must have been an athlete because he, he often wrote about, he compared his walk with Christ to like uh, to athletic competition. In Philippians chapter three, he actually says, you know, brothers, I don't yet consider myself as to, as to have taken hold of it. And what he's talking about when he says as to have taken hold of it is, is he's talking about how he really wants to know Jesus intimately. He wants to get to that stage of intimacy where he knows everything about Jesus. Jesus knows everything about him and they know each other better than anyone, like just intimacy. And he says, I do not consider myself as yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and this is the key, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward. It's not always easy. He's like, I'm straining toward 
what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. See, he's always competing. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that language that he uses of forgetting what's behind me. Look, you screwed up. You made mistakes. Okay, forget it. Look ahead and keep moving ahead. Many of us desire in our hearts to just strain toward what lies ahead. Well, we, but we fail to do it. We fail to do it. Why? Because we keep looking backwards. And we fail to, to ask ourselves a very, very important question. And so this is the question that I want to add, I want to leave you with. And I want you to just keep this question in your mind. And I want you to maybe get out a notebook, a journal, if you write things down and you maybe type it in your phone and your reminders or whatever. But, but make sure that you actually answer this question, okay? So here, there's two, two questions. One is just a question that I'd like for you to answer because if you answer this question negatively, then the second question is not going to matter. But if you answer this question positively, then the second question will really matter. Okay, so the first question is this. Do you really want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Okay, and you don't have to answer out loud, but some of you nod your heads. That's great. I hope everybody's nodding their heads. If so, here's the second question. Now, this is the one that I want you to write down, okay? It's just a really simple question. Two words. Specifically how? We don't grow because we don't get specific. You got to get specific. Answer that question. Like if I, if t t tomorrow I wake up and I answer the question, I really want to grow in Christ today. Okay, specifically how? What am I, what am I going to do? Right? Because it's not just going to happen. Like growth isn't just going to happen. It doesn't ever happen that way. How many of you ever want to get stronger? Like you want to lift weights and get stronger. Do you just show up in the weight room and get stronger? No, you got to get specific. You got to get on a program, right? You got you to you lift. And it doesn't just happen after one day. You got to do it consistently every single day. Like how many of you ever want to lose weight? You don't just wake, you know, if you're 300 pounds and you want to be 150, you don't just wake up one day. Oh, I just lost a bunch, bunch of weight. Nope. It happens specifically, right? We don't gain weight generally either. <laughs> we gain weight one donut at a time, right? Just little by little. Everything in life that you do, just like the builder who goes to get to build a tower, the builder who goes to build something, as Jesus said in that parable, gets specific. No one just, if you're going to build a house, you don't go down to Lowe's or to Menards or some, you know, uh, you know, Home Depot and say, hey, give me some, give me some lumber. I'll take some wood and some nails, maybe some drywall, some shingles. <laughs> No, you get specific. There's an architect who draws out the plan. Every, everything in life that we grow in, we get specific. But we just kind of sometimes hang all of our hope, all of our relationship with Jesus on, nah, I, I was baptized. I go to church. No, that's not what he wants. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, my prayer right now is that as each of us are, are contemplating where we are in that journey with you, that we'll be really honest with you and we'll be really honest with ourselves and we'll pause for a moment to say, Jesus, come and lead the way. Come and, and, and show me how I need to start getting specific in my relationship with you. Maybe it just begins right now with just being 
really honest with you during communion as we go and take communion and we confess the sin that we have in our lives and we, we lay it before you and we say thank you for the forgiveness that you provide to us. Thank you for the forgiveness that you provide to me and for my wrongdoing and my sin. I accept that, I embrace that and now we can go together on this relationship journey and grow in our intimacy. Lord, I pray that it's everybody's desire in this room to have a relationship of intimacy with you. And I pray that in these next moments as we, as we sing and as we take time to be with you and have communion, and that, that we would respond in whatever way you want us to respond. If there's anyone here this morning that is not a Christian that needs to know you, I pray that they would... They would talk to somebody that they know is a Christian. And they would say, hey, I think Jesus is calling me, drawing me to himself. What do I need to do? How do I need to respond? Lord, those answers are here for anyone who has those questions. And I pray that they would have the courage to do that. 